Today we've got uh, someone who I've had brief conversations with over the past few years, Frank Buck, although he did have a previous different surname, so we'll get into that during the podcast. He's currently a designer at Headspace, and I believe Wu has also had some interactions with Headspace in the past. How are you two guys doing? Doing great, doing great. Is it another lovely sunny day in California? You know what, it, it looks like it's peaking out a little bit at the sun, but uh, it's been, it's been some, some rainy weather lately, so it's not, not typical California. Well, that is typical London, so uh, <laughs> welcome. Welcome to the real world, my friends. I didn't realize it was still raining. I thought it was sunny. I, I looked out kind of my shades, and it kind of looked sunny. But yeah, I'm like an hour away from you, so obviously not that big of a difference in uh, Makes all the difference. weather. <laughs> right, let's, uh, let's dive into it. Uh, well, firstly, thank you, Frank, for coming on. No uh, problem. My for pleasure. me, it's been a long time coming to finally put a, a voice to the emails that we've had back and forth over the past couple of years. Um, but firstly, I think we, me and Wu in particular, would both like to, to know if you were sort of in an elevator pitch situation and someone said to you, hey, what are you, what's your living? What do you do? How would you approach that question? What do I do? Uh, I'll give you what I tell the, the Lyft drivers that I design apps. Uh, and then that usually, like any product designer knows, uh, that usually goes into them asking you if you can help design their app. Um, <laughs> <Yes>. So that's <laughs> no, but, uh, just to be. Uh, yeah. Jokes aside, uh, I would just say that I'm a designer of a meditation app called Headspace. Uh, I, you know, I, I yeah, I'm, I identify as a skateboarder, punk rocker, uh, Canadian, all of these things. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I, I really struggle with this actually. I, I pretty much have a consistently A B C D test of how I answer that question. I'm currently going through just saying I'm product designer. And then people say, yeah. oh, what, like tables and sofas and stuff? I'm like, no, <laughs> uh, digital, digital one. And then I say, what does that mean? And I say, okay, it's well, a, I design an app. It's a great question about, you know, what, what's your pitch? And I, I guess it all depends on who you're, who you're speaking to and what you're, um, what you're trying to communicate to them. And it kind of poses these big questions of identity, you know? Is that your? Is that is that what you lead with? Is product design? And then yeah, I, I struggle with it too, for sure. What do you do, Wu? Uh, so I right now do user interface design for a video game company, uh, and then at night I kind of do like creative direction stuff and just general art stuff uh, on the side as freelance. But Frank, I got a cool question for you. Um, so let's say you sure. had like a college student that's trying to like figure out their life. They're like, I don't know what I want to do with my life. I want to maybe become a product designer or maybe uh, yeah. something along those lines. Like, how would you explain like your day-to-day -day stuff? Like what, what do you do when you first get there? Like, you know, obviously like the stuff that you can't talk about, like what are, what are the general things that, that you kind of go through throughout a day? Is it like more information side? Is it like organizing people? Is it organizing uh, screens? Is it trying to sell the business model? Like what exactly is it that, that you kind of go into? Maybe like a little more in depth than an elevator pitch, but more for like somebody that's trying to like just figure out their life. Sure. So that, do you mean kind of like as, as advice for them or just to give them the pitch on, on what I do? Just, just to basically like, let's say they're trying to figure out if that's the thing for them. Like they're, let's say they okay. love organizing people. They love uh, figuring out like the business side of a, 
uh, of a company like would that like fit them is that something that would make sense to them like just imagine they don't really know much about it and they're trying to sure. maybe learn Cheryl, the way that i kind of see product design is is there's there's two sides there's and there's people on both sides um the team side is kind of the, the organization the vision side and kind of defining that and motivating people to to do the work and for you know for yourself to do the work as well uh, and then there's the other side, which is the user's side, uh, which, you know, in a subscription-based business like Headspace, uh, we do get interaction with them, but we kind of have to call them in, you know? Got, otherwise, you're just kind of looking at, at data and charts and that type of stuff uh, to try to get insights. But, yeah, there's the two sides. One, one is team. The other is who is using the product. And if it interests you to kind of dig into people and what motivates them and how they work best and that kind of thing, then, then it's a, I think it's a pleasant line of work. I would like to catch you just there because you haven't actually said the word design just then. And that is sure. very important, but also something that not many people actually even think about. So a lot of people would answer that question by saying, yeah. Yeah, you know, I open, I open a couple of tools and I push some pixels around and then I yeah. do the user stuff. Yeah, I tried to take a step back. I actually spent a lot of time designing. I, you know, I designed mo like more than half the day, probably. Uh, usually working on features or um, initiative, like growth initiatives. I've kind of gone back and forth between designing for the app itself and also designing for growth-related things. Uh, you know, i.e., like growth mechanisms, referral mechanisms, landing pages, all that kind of good stuff. I, I went really deep on designing for products and features for a little while. And not to say that I got bored of it, but I felt like I kind of maximized my learning and contribution in that way. And this opportunity came up to do a little bit of growth design. And some, some designers would say, oh man, that, that sounds terrible. You know, that's like too close to like monetization and finance and all that stuff. But I mean, everybody loves to uh, get their paycheck every two weeks. So I figure, uh, you know, if not me, then who? So I think I, sh I took that responsibility on to, uh, to work on growth stuff. And it's been an awesome, awesome process. And I, I've kind of thought that um, as a meditation app, mindfulness app, um, some, some of these kind of revenue growth techniques that could be implemented in a product, you know, it could, you know, it could be cash flow positive, but really terrible for users. Uh, mm -hmm. So I thought, you know, let's, let's take that responsibility on and uh, take on the project that's a little bit less, uh, a little bit less exciting from like a yeah, feature perspective. So, so this is something that I think is really interesting about the company that you work for, which I think is rare for yeah. a lot of startups because a, a lot of them are looking at that burn down chart, right? And they're like, we need to make money no matter, you know, like what that method is. Um, they'll, they'll, they'll kind of like cut corners. They'll do things that aren't like fully like, I don't know, like moral, I guess. And, and yeah. I've had some friends that have worked at these companies and they tell me some of the stories yeah. where they literally use dark patterns on purpose, Yeah. which if you guys yeah. don't know what dark patterns is, it's basically for all the people listening. Um, they're like patterns that kind of trick users into doing something that they don't necessarily want to do, or that might lead them in a direction where it's going to kind of, um, make them make a purchase when, you know, they might not want to make a purchase or do other things too. Um, and I, and I appreciate that about, about companies that don't, don't take those risks too. They're just like, we're going to give you value because 
in the long run, to me, I think that that strategy works better. But I, but I do really appreciate when people do say things like that, you know, that they really are like, and you can tell by when you use the app that you guys are like very focused on, you know, the, the actual user and not just making money off of people too. I think, I think that's super interesting. There's a bunch of free versions of things and like people can just use it and like they don't have to necessarily, you know, always pay for it. So that's, I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's much broader than that. I'm, I'm oversimplifying it, but I think that that's always great. Sure. Yeah, there's yeah. the, um, the harsh reality that businesses need to make money and absolutely it, you get to a, you get to a point where some businesses are struggling and they need to force the payments you know they need to get more people on however which way they can because they've got people who need to pay they've got taxes to pay or whatever and that's mm-hmm. where things can easily very easily swing in the wrong direction but then it's up to the, the the strong minds in the business to say you know what we can actually do it in a much more effective and ethical way um it's obviously a lot difficult more harder to prove that because you need time absolutely sure. yeah and i think it uh you know it goes all the way up to finance it's not only a product design decision i think as a company um headspace you know operates in that sense in that kind of transparent way um you know our, our co-founders rich and andy you know andy is the, the voice in the app and he was a trained monk and you know some days i see andy around the office and i wonder uh, you know, does he, you know, does he even want to be in business? You know, like was this, this was definitely not his vision of his future, you know, but he's, he's happy to be, uh, to be in the, in the position he's in. Uh, but also as a company there, you know, Headspace is really lucky to, uh, to, to be valued, you know, pretty highly. I think it was 300 million or something like that. The last, the last kind of press that I saw. Uh, and, a few months back, we hit a million paying subscribers. So, you know, there, there is some good, good momentum going in that way. And, uh, yeah, I think it's, it's a good time to, um, to kind of set that, set that standard and define those principles on what we're willing to do, what we're not willing to do. And as a company, it's definitely always been very much brand driven. And uh, one of the co-founders, Rich, uh, comes from advertising. So he definitely sees the value in those kind of long-term uh, brand plays. Yeah, that's got to be an interesting dynamic between t- those two guys. You have this like business guy and then you have a monk, which I think is like yeah. incredible because yeah. I've watched a lot of his videos yeah. and stuff. And this guy is like yeah. so zen. Like somebody could like walk in and like be yelling at this dude and like cursing him in the face and he'd just be like, cool, man. <laughs> like you could just tell he would have a level head, which not a lot of people would have. But I think that's also interesting because that trickles down too to the employees, I think, too. because. I actually got to see you guys' office and you can you can see all the people there too. They're very like the reflections of the leader too, right? You know, nothing's yeah. perfect. Every, there's always going to be like yeah. little things, whatever, at every company. But but I think for the most part, like people that run the company, they tend to reflect down and then people kind of follow, you know, what what their footsteps are too. So if, if you're a decent human being and you're you're looking, your end goal is happiness for your users and that's truly your focus. I think that money is going to come anyway, in my opinion. And and every time I've I've taken people apart and tried to figure out like why they were successful, that tends to be like the the core thing. And like one of the pillars is like to legitimately care about that end user, which a lot of people say, but not a lot of people actually do. Well, yeah, Wu, I think you nailed it. With the you know, if we're going to be a company that's based on kind of health and happiness, then we need you know internally we need to be the kind of the most perfect reflection of that. If we're not living it day to day, then how can we 
pass that on to to the users we're designing for. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah you mentioned that you've got the two co-founders uh, very different backgrounds uh, yeah. themselves. But you also got quite a different background in that didn't you run your own studio before and then you sort of made the jump down uh, to San Francisco to join Headspace? Yeah, so I, I started my own studio straight out of college uh, up north in, in Sudbury, Ontario, a little, little small mining town in Fun fact Canada. about Sudbury yeah. is that my brother's fiance is from Sudbury as well. <laughs> That's that is so surprising. It's uh, yeah, that I've yeah, I, I don't think this has ever happened before. Usually, I've got to point it, point it out on a map for people. Uh, yeah, for anyone who doesn't know where Sudbury is, it's uh, about a four hour drive straight north from Toronto. So, if you know where, where that oh, is, yeah. uh, picture a whole lot of nature and trees and lakes, and then you eventually get to uh, the nickel mining capital of the world. Yes. Uh, so yeah, I ran a studio there for about seven years, uh, straight out of college. You know, we started it when it was kind of the middle of the recession, and thankfully Canada wasn't wasn't hit quite as hard as the U.S. was, but there was still a bit of a, a ripple effect there. Uh, so not a lot of kind of jobs coming out of uh, kind of coming out of my studies. Uh, so I just thought let's let's go for it. Let's start a little studio and eventually grew it to you know, about eight or ten people and had some oh, wow. really exciting projects. For companies and lots of nonprofits as well, uh, big science uh, science centers, art galleries, record labels, that kind of stuff. Right. So with that studio going very well, uh, you decided to call it. Yeah, it was. I mean, that was kind of a a major life milestone moment for me. Uh, running a studio. Anyone who who's done this or, or who's kind of freelancing and that kind of thing, you know that that can be super stressful. Um, you know, you, you've got kind of nobody to look to when things go wrong or uh, even when things go right, you're kind of just celebrating by yourself. Uh, it, it can be a little bit, a little bit uh, lonely. And through that, kind of going through that, I discovered meditation and that it was actually through Headspace. It was my wife, uh, who's now my wife, who was then my, my fiance. She wasn't trying to kind of get me onto this, and I was super skeptical. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that sounds ridiculous. I'm, there's no way I'm sitting and meditating. I'm like, no way, no chance. Uh, I was very much like a kind of high-strung, um, almost like a not a I want to say a Gary V character, but not not quite a Gary V character. But you know, you're, you're kind of <laughs> you're kind of you're in that mode of like you know, selling and pitching and um, trying to get new business, and and it's you know it becomes a bit of a hamster wheel. And uh, yeah, through meditation, kind of sitting down with thoughts and sitting down with your mind, not something I hadn't really ever done uh, since I was maybe like a little kid. And uh, yeah, I realized this was kind of not the career path I wanted to take. I didn't, I didn't want to run a studio. I wanted to do true design, like, you know, hands-on design. And I was working a lot more in kind of brand and marketing at that time, and I think I saw this desire to, you know, work on something that was maybe a more of a digital product, a little more like future facing, future forward, and uh, that that was the first step of uh, kind of this new this new path that I've been on. Yeah, I think that gets as far future forward as you can get. A monk that runs an app company. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> sure that I've ever heard that sentence out of anybody else's mouth. <laughs> that sci-fi was, film. Yeah. It wasn't the first, the first move, the first, uh, I mean, moving to a new country, 
even though you know it's still kind of North America, it's, yeah. it can be you know it's a it's a pretty big move, and I mean many Europeans I'm sure feel this because there's a lot of a lot of movement uh, between countries there. But uh, yeah, as a Canadian moving to the U.S., even though we you know we still get the their media, we still get you know all of those kind of cultural ties, it's still kind of a shocking experience to uh, to enter this totally new country that you're foreign to and uh, originally moved to Los Angeles to work for a company called Eden Speakerman, and we worked on uh, Red Bull TV, and that was an awesome, awesome learning experience. Uh, worked on a multi-platform media app, and I always had kind of this site for Headspace, you know, this kind of vision that I'd really like to be there. You know, not, not quite sure in which capacity, but um, I knew that they'd, they'd done something really magical for me. Uh, so I really would have loved to, to contribute. And then, you know, kind of 10 months later, the opportunity came up and uh, yeah, here I am. Yes. The Sudbury as a town is obviously very different to where you are at the moment. Is that different lifestyle, atmosphere, nature, situation, something you find missing? Um, th there are aspects that I miss, but overall, I think my, my worst day in LA is better than my best day in Sudbury. <laughs> I was, I was like, I was not in a good place in that kind of isolation. And of course, you always love your hometown. And, you know, on a different day, I might have answered that question a bit nicer. Uh, yeah. But I figure, I'll, let's be real. Um, yeah, I love Sudbury. I love visiting. You know, I grew up playing hockey and, you know, doing outdoor winter sports. Uh, but I also grew up skateboarding and listening to punk rock and hip hop and just wanting to feel that, that culture. And always kind of felt, you know, a little bit alien in a city that values like, you know, outdoors and uh, snow machining and, and ATVing and all of these kind of motorsports. Uh, so arriving in L.A. and just, you know, seeing the, that sun shining down and, and the skate culture and, you know, the, the arts communities, it just really felt like I'd kind of come home, honestly. Yeah, and the area in LA that you live in is like super vibrant and like very full of like, or at least I th I'm assuming you live by the office or generally in the same area, right? Yeah, I live in Playa Vista. Okay, it's, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's kind of near Culver City and, and sure. Marina. Uh, but yeah, it's a short, it's still a short drive to uh, Santa Monica. Yeah, that whole area is just like so live, full of art. Like that was my first impression because I used to live in Venice. I just moved to to Irvine recently, but that whole area, I remember walking outside and I was just like immediately inspired. And I kind of have the same story as you. I came from Michigan where it was like super cold, yeah. like you know, there's almost yeah. never any sun. And then I came out here and it was just like sun rays hitting your face. You know, like almost <laughs> 365 days, you know, out of the year. And it's like it's a total huge, huge change. Yeah. But one thing that you had mentioned earlier uh, that you kind of glossed over that I think that it would benefit people to to know that transition and how it happened was was when you started using the meditation, you said that you were kind of one person and you flipped over to the other because I've been using meditation a lot too. And I've noticed a lot of changes in like my behavior and the way that I see my day and the way that uh, I guess like, you know, like what I used to think were like catastrophes. Now I'm just kind of like, eh, you know, whatever, like I'll figure it out. But I, I, I'm curious what your transition was like. Like, how did that happen? Like, what what was that like? Like, what what specifically were you doing while that happened? Yeah, I think that one big question I asked myself was was what's the what's the best day that I've had, you know, this past month, and how can I have more of those days? And I don't think I would have realized like what a good day felt like unless I'd taken a moment and 
and and thought about it or I mean some people we go back and forth around like should you think or should you not think in meditation and I'm kind of a believer of just like if the thoughts are coming um, and they're not bad ones uh, then maybe just kind of identify them acknowledge them and then kind of let them move on um, so yeah I think yeah the life life was a little little bit I don't know, maybe just a bit more chaotic at the time. And uh, I knew I needed some, I, I needed to calm something down or else I was you know, going to either get like really sick health wise or something, whether that was like mental health or, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're not sleeping very well or you're not, you know, you're, you're not eating very well, who knows, like you, you really could be down the road to having a heart attack or something. Um, so those were all kind of factors. Yeah. Do you think that that is, synonymous with our industry or synonymous with our generation or synonymous with city life or all of the above and everybody? Yeah, I think so. I think our generation now, especially with kind of having access to everything through social and, and the internet and just being able to see like the lives many people are living kind of freaks you out a little bit and makes you think, oh, wow, like I, I need to catch up or I need to, you know, I need to do better, do bigger. Um, you know, I, how could I ever afford a three million dollar condo in New York City if uh, you know if I don't if I don't get working all day and night? Uh, I think it's I think it's improving. I think mental health is becoming you know much more uh, a much more common topic to to speak of. And I think we're we're in the part of the the pendulum where we've gone really far in the other direction where we're talking about it a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. And I think it's going to kind of settle somewhere in the middle, and it will just be you know, as normal as tying your shoes. Hopefully. I hope so, yeah. <laughs> With that in mind, it's probably a good uh, point for us to wrap up that first section, dive into something a little bit more different. It would it'd be mm -hmm. great to hear both of your opinions, actually, just on how personal brand manifests itself in the industry, what actually defines that, who we are, what makes us successful individually rather than as, a, as an employee. And up to you, Frank, firstly, is congratulations on getting married. I, oh, thanks uh, very much. Thank you. I was doing so. I was searching for you a few weeks ago, just in prep for the podcast, and I was like, "Where's he gone? Where's he gone? I can't <laughs> find him by his name." And I realized you've done a sort of an extensive personal rebrand, new website, mm -hmm. new new social handles. Um, how was that experience for you, letting letting go of your previous uh, persona? I guess. Well, it, it kind of all comes back to meditation. You know, are you are you willing to let go of these these kind of uh, these things you you hold on to for so long? And yeah, I did. I did recently get married. We got married on New Year's Eve uh, in Palm Springs. It was a wonderful little elopement ceremony. It was just us and a uh, photographer and a, a uh, an efficient. And my wife Terry and I, we've been together for about nine years now, and we we talked about this for so long. Uh, we kind of started and then stopped planning a wedding a few times, and then you know mm. eventually we we kind of just sat down and thought, who are we doing this for? Why are we doing it? What are the, you know, what are the, the reasons that, that we keep kind of stalling this? And none of it had to do with love. It all had to do with the factors surrounding, you know, who's invited, uh, where's it going to be? It was all this like logistical stuff. And then we, you know, just faced, kind of faced the, uh, faced it and just thought it's for us. It's for love. It's, it's a kind of a celebration and commitment that we want to have together. And uh, so let's just do it for us. And another question that came up 
you know, come up many times was, was, will she take my last name? Will I take her last name? Like, what, what are we doing about this? Like, this was something we needed to, to kind of be firm on. And yeah, we, we just kind of kept hitting that wall and eventually came up with this idea. And I, I've heard of a couple of people doing this before, which is, uh, you know, doing a merger of both your family names. And at first I was, you know, a little bit uh, hesitant, uh, but you know, it's, it, I, I also felt weird about her taking my last name. And I, yeah, I think this is totally up to the individual, up to the couple, up to the, the yeah. relationship. And I would not judge anybody for any choice they make. Uh, but for us, uh, this idea of, you know, the, of her taking my last name and me, but not particularly loving my, my, my last, uh, my last name as well. Uh, it felt a little bit like, uh, you know, historically, it's it's kind of like the woman becomes the man's property, and mm-hmm. and we just thought, you know, it's it's 2019. Uh, you know, I think I think we're living in a in a really cool cultural moment, and this feels very uh, very true to us to come up with a different solution. And so what we did is we took the first two letters of her last name, which were Barksy, and the first two letters of my last name. Chartrand, and we came up with a new last name, which is Bach, B-A-C-H. And, you know, when we, when we landed on it, we both kind of just looked at each other and thought, this is beautiful. You know, this is like, this is, this is it. This will take some getting used to, for sure, uh, for myself, for family, for, for everybody. Um, but, yeah, I'm really, really happy with it, and I'm really excited to uh, kind of continue on with this new, uh, this new name. And I think it's a like for me to go through this and and all of the emotion and and the kind of baggage that comes with a name change, I feel like in a very small way, I can empathize with what many women go through uh, often through marriage. So, you know, yeah, it it felt right for us. And uh, for sure, it's no judgment. It's a a wonderful story. You you had to make some pretty tough decisions throughout that entire process. And it obviously took many years to come to those conclusions. Is that a, a trait that you've had to work on, what sort of that brutality of decision-making, or is it something you had to realize throughout this process and you want to take going forward now? Yeah, I'd like to take it going forward because those questions don't go away. They just sit in your mind, and you're better to, uh, I think you're better off to make a call and just <laughs> move forward. Yeah. Wu, you're a really busy uh, busy guy, you've got so many projects going on. How do you manage your decision making with that with that in mind? Do you are you very cutthroat and brutal about what you have to do, or are you sort of flexible with how you manage things? I think it depends on what it is. So if it involves my girlfriend, like obviously I you know consult her, see like what what she thinks, and try to like you know find that middle ground. If it's like about work stuff, or you know if I'm working for a client, it's always like a split decision. But I mean, if I'm trying to like like sometimes life decisions where it's like, do I want to work here? Do I want to work here? Sometimes I literally flip a coin because I'm like, you know what? Honestly, I have no idea until I try this thing. I have no idea. And I've always hopped around in different kinds of jobs. I mean, I've been in like car design. I've been in app design. I've done uh, like weird graphic design, t-shirt design. I used to do website, like literally like I would just take whatever came my way. I was like, as long as it has to do with art, I would just do it. But I would just honestly just flip a coin sometimes. <laughs> Simple as that. Well, that's a way to tackle a problem. Um, For sure. I think both of you uh, have got a sort of a healthy social media following. Uh, your personal brands are quite strong. 
whether it's split across the through a few accounts or it's just specifically Twitter and Instagram. Do you have an opinion on whether it's essential as a successful designer to have these followings? And could you, could you separate them? I think it depends on what you think success is. You know, is, yep. is success um, to have an audience to reach? Uh, I've, I've always kind of liked knowledge sharing and, and kind of getting up on a, on a stage and, and, you know, kind of speaking my mind or, or sharing something with a group of people. And I think that goes back to my kind of account, uh, kind of running a studio days, you know, where I was, you know, I was often in front of people pitching projects and concepts. Uh, so Twitter is kind of like this small digital way of having that again. Uh, I think it, when you go back to kind of living in a remote place in Northern Canada, Twitter is kind of the only, uh, the only access you have to the greater design world. So that, I think that's kind of how that, that's happened for me. But um, yeah, I think it helps. It for sure helps. I, I don't think I would get asked do any speaking engagements if I only had a couple hundred followers. Yeah, in which case success for you would mean getting those engagements, but that yeah. is also kind of not related to the, the daily practice of designing solutions to problems. It's more of a broader personality uh, direction, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. I, I really struggle with, uh, I think I've spoken about it before, with uh, the sort of drive and pressure on people to have influence as a professional and seemingly if you're not influential you're rubbish <laughs> yeah. yeah that's actually i think a conversation that really needs to be had too i think rick has a really good point that um that it really depends on what your end goal is right like if your end goal is to like impact hundreds of thousands of millions of people and you want to change the whatever you know like if you have that kind of goal like yeah then probably having you know people you know follow you is is a good good thing to have you know and Sometimes it's just the right people, right? Like you don't have to have like, you know, 4 million followers. You might just need, you know, 2,000 good ones too, I think. But I think that it, it depends on like what your end goal is too, right? Because some things do do need that kind of following. And some people, you know, they, they just want to like sit at a company and be able to influence the company on a micro level, right? And that's fine. Like there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And I think a lot of people think that they do have to have that other side where it's this like massive brand. I do think that, personal brand is important um, in the sense that like you need to be able to sell yourself to a company to say like, Hey, here's the things that I've done. Here's what I stand for. Here's what I believe in. And that's going to help them understand you better because a lot of times, um, you know, like I've in the past, I've done a lot of interviewing and it's like kind of like a tie a lot of times. And then you go online and you kind of look at, you know, what kind of things they're posting, what, how they're um, tied into like the design community, things like that too. And that'll kind of help you make that decision as well too. So I do think that it, you need like a, a small level of it, whereas like you're you're at least, you know, putting your portfolio out there and you're you're kind of like displaying it in a way that's like very intelligible that people can kind of understand and stuff to you. But, you know, and then there's the other side, too. So I think I feel like there's kind of tiers and depending on what your end goal is, depends on like what tier maybe what you stand in. And I don't know if I, like I have uh, I have rejected people before because they had a questionable social media presence. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. so it may reflect on the company you're at. And uh, if you're posting uh, left field opinions uh, freely on the internet, then you're going to affect our, our ability to raise money. You're going to affect our ability to get more employees. And um, you've got to be conscious about what you're doing. And I think that's another interesting debate is 
whether you treat your social media as an extension of your practice or extension of your business, or if it's just somewhere where you talk about TV. And I think both are fine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, mean, I have, some, I, have some, I have some colleagues who, uh, who, who's, you know, post memes on Twitter and Instagram, and I really enjoy following them as well. Cause we think we all need a little bit of that. <laughs> I think whatever your, whatever you're kind of naturally leaning toward. And for me, it's, it's turned into this, like, I don't know, I guess like trying to be inspiring to live a more mindful life. And maybe that's, that's leaning more in the kind of design world. Uh, yeah, that's just kind of what, what it's turned into for me, but it, it definitely uh, didn't really take off until, uh, until I joined Headspace. So I definitely uh, credit mostly Headspace for, uh, for helping me with that, that megaphone. That it's a good Twitter. case of leverage. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I think it's helpful just depending on your goals, like you guys have been saying. And, and for me, um, something that, that I, an old friend told me once was as you mature in your career, people tend to hire you more for your ideas and, and thoughts and, um, and kind of your perspective and less for your execution. And at the time, I didn't really understand, but, I'm seeing it more clearly now, uh, and so I guess Twitter and you know LinkedIn and Instagram is all those are all tools to kind of share your perspective, and if that helps you, you know, attract the right employers, attract the right coworkers, attract you know friendships, all of this stuff. I mean, I I don't think I'd be sitting here chatting with you guys if uh, if I hadn't hadn't jumped on the uh, on the Twitter and started sharing my thoughts. Yeah. In so, fact, me and Wu actually met on a Slack group. <laughs> we did as well. Yeah, yeah. What Slack group was it? United Designers. Yes. Okay. It's just a more American base, isn't it? But there's a few, uh, few people from around the world in there. Um, okay. That was actually going to be my next question. Actually, do you have a strong opinion either way on designer sort of social networking, uh, things like Dribble, um, open Slack groups? those kind of things. Is that th- something you find yourself engaging with or is it just something you don't have time for? Um, I think I, I'm lucky to have a big enough group of designers at Headspace at work and uh, to, to kind of get that fixed. But I definitely see the need for, for community and, and you know, sharing of ideas, different perspectives. Uh, I've also got a, a, you know, a good bunch of friends that are kind of around the world that I've worked with in the past that you know, will regroup once in a while on like WhatsApp or um, or something like that and, and kind of just chat design. But yeah, I think this, this future where we're headed toward where we've got a lot of remote workers, I think the, uh, I think those Slack communities are super important. So I got a quick question for you. Um, one thing that, uh, that I noticed when I, when I used to live in Michigan was that I tend to go to like a lot more social media and like reading about you know, on articles and going on YouTube and learning about design that mm-hmm. way. But when I moved to LA, yeah. I started being surrounded by those people that were making those videos. And all of a sudden, you know, people like the future yeah. are like literally down the street from me where I'm like, whoa, like, yeah. I didn't know you guys were like literally across the street from me. This is crazy. So I'm curious yeah. how, how you feel you've changed uh, when you moved from Canada to here, like how that affected you as a person, because I noticed that like, I wasn't interested in like podcasting and all this stuff. Like none of this stuff would be interesting unless I was around those people that were like that crazy ambitious. Cause it didn't even seem like a possibility. 
But I do also think that there's something to be said about, you know, like the smaller towns, like they, people still can be successful. Yeah. So I'm kind of curious, since you've kind of done both, you've done successful, yeah. you know, business in a small town and you've been in L.A. Like, can you talk about like those differences and like how it's changed you? Yeah, I think living in a small town kind of feels like you're living in a fishbowl where kind of everyone is feels like everyone's looking at you or um, you get to know people very per- like very personally, like the folks at the at the grocery store or, you know, the, you, you run into your old, your old teacher at the market or whatever, like all that, and all that stuff is really nice and it builds a really strong kind of community. But, um, on the other hand, getting to LA, which is kind of a, a place where people are in and out very quickly. Um, they kind of come here for the, kind of the big dream, whether they're an actor or a, or a startup founder or whatever. And, and if it, if it's successful, then they stick around. But if it's not, then they're kind of gone in, you know, six to 12 months. Um, sorry, I think I've gone on a tangent. Can you repeat that last bit again? Yeah, I was just basically wondering, like, what, what you think the difference is between, like, the small town and the big town uh, kind of, like, work life is is like, and it's how, how it's kind of, oh, like, yeah. changed you. Sorry, it was, like, the question was a little meandering. But, yeah. but basically, like, what those differences are between, like, the small town and the big town and how it's changed. Yeah, I think when you're in the small town, you feel so disconnected from kind of what we'll call the real world. And I mean, for me, it just the only way to keep in touch with that was to listen to all the podcasts and, you know, scroll through Twitter, read all the articles. And, and that was a way to kind of keep a pulse on everything. Whereas when you're, when you're in a, a major city, like whether that's New York, San Francisco, London, Paris, whatever it is, um, you do feel like you're part of that pulse and um, just being surrounded by more people living that shared experience, I think kind of creates those opportunities like where you, you know, you may, you maybe wanted to become a vlogger or uh, start your own podcast or maybe write an article and share your perspective because you really feel like you're in the thick of it. Like you are, um, you are working on those, on those companies or on those um organizations that are in the headlines every day yeah yeah, yeah i i have a it's a, it's a it's a difficult one for me because i so i live in london and uh i've looked before my current job i was looking for work outside of london within the uk and i couldn't find what i was looking for and then as soon as i switched my view to london i got an opportunity very quickly yeah and i really don't like how you, you are forced to work in these cities and uh, well, not forced, but if you want to work on certain projects, you're forced to work in a certain place. And I'm wondering whether you have any thoughts about where you see yourself going once you're sort of through this current project and whether you would like to go back to that smaller environment. Yeah, no, I, I don't think I'm trying to get back to anywhere that where the weather is cold. Um, <laughs> I can agree with that. <laughs> it's, I love Canada. I love, I love the, the small town kind of situation. But I think if I were to go for that again, uh, it would probably be sticking around California, uh, maybe, maybe maybe heading into the desert or something like that. Maybe J- Joshua Tree or Palm Springs or something. Yes. Uh, but then again, w- when I'm there for a few for you know more than a few days, I start to you know start to feel like okay, like I think I'm ready for you know for some people again. <laughs> uh, Speaking of Joshua Tree, <laughs> have you tried the little trailers that they have that you can rent out? No, never. No. Oh, check out the trailers. It's it's going to make you like super duper excited if you're anything like me, because they have these little trailers that you can basically like rent out there and you can have like a whole bunch of people yeah. there and it's like a tiny little town. It's super awesome. Yeah. 
great. That's great. It's, a, it's like an Airbnb you can pick Basically. up. Basically, yeah. Yeah, yeah I think that I, tr- I really try not to worry too much about the future. Um, just kind of take it day by day. I think I'm in a, I'm in a, good, a good spot in my life and really just trying to appreciate um, what, I'm, what I'm going through at the moment. <laughs> Do you think you get a good enough opportunity to work on those hobbies of yours? Do you, like, do you get to skateboard often, for example? Yeah, I mean that's that's another perk of California life. Is uh, we've got a little a little headspace skate crew where a few of us <laughs> go out. Uh, we go, try to go out uh, once a week or at least once a month, um, and just the the access to, to skate parks and the access to uh, to spots around LA is just it, it's hard to beat. So I don't know if you noticed this too, but one thing that I noticed a lot with people around here is one, almost everybody that I worked with had started a band and been in a band. They either yeah. skateboarded yeah. or they BMXed in the past. Yeah. They, they all had yeah. like these really similar things that I always thought was like really funny. Not in a bad way. I was just like super excited because like I'd never met people yeah. that were like skateboarders and BMXers. I was like the only one in my area, you know, there's like maybe yeah. one or two friends you saw once in a while. Yeah. But it was just like not a thing, you know, something that you saw in California and you're like, that's cool. I want to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I did. I did both those things, skateboarded and started a band. I knew um, it. I knew it. <laughs> I started a band with uh, with a few friends. They're all kind of around the world now. One of them is a lead designer at Envision doing studio. Uh, his name is cool. Scott Severi. Mm. And uh, he's he, he lived just down the street from me in in our little hometown. Oh, that's uh, crazy. He's in Berlin. He's in Berlin now. But um, yeah, we started a band uh, with, with a few other friends and and we hit the road, you know, just kind of like that in college, like something to do during the summers and then after college a little bit. Yes. Um, and I think that desire to kind of get out of the small town, like that that was the inspiration and music was the vehicle. Yep. Um, <laughs> I wonder if that's not the thread that ties it all together because it's like being in a band is like your ticket of getting out of your town. And there's like this whole vision of like seeing the United States and all this crazy stuff. What was the name of the band? Uh, the band was called Vicious Cycle. And we, we did Cycle. we did an we did an album that was uh themed after Carl Sagan's Pale Blue Dot book. Wow. Uh, so I don't know if you're, if you're looking for aggressive hardcore music that's, that has themes of uh, the environment and space exploration, that's the one for you. Vicious Cycle <laughs> is the one for you. Yeah. We, yeah. Where can we find Vicious Cycle's music? That's the biggest question we've got. The, the Pale Blue Dot album is on Spotify. I don't, oh, I, don't share, I don't share it a lot. I don't talk about it a lot, but it's it's definitely there. Is that inspired by? We Carl may Sagan? or may not plug it. Yeah, dude, you should you should plug it. I wonder, maybe we'll get a, a few cents royalties. <laughs> right, well, uh, that's a good spot for us to round up our conversation. Thank you again for coming on. You had some really wonderful insights into personal perspective, knowing when to say no, which is uh, really important, and kind of just being generally at one with yourself, and mainly having such a wonderful story about your, your marriage situation. That was really inspiring for me, at least. Thank you again. Well, thanks very much, guys. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, that was so much fun. All right, thanks so much for listening, guys. I hope you enjoyed that one. We just wanted to ask you one quick favor. We work crazy hard to bring the guests on and all the work that goes with it. We only ask you two things. The first one, if you aren't already subscribed, please hit that subscribe button. Whatever platform you're using, we're pretty much on all the platforms. And second is to just share it with somebody you think would enjoy it. That's all. 
It would mean so much to us. Thanks, everybody. Peace.